the Lord uh, said that the wise man builds the house upon the rock and that the foolish man, he builds his house upon the sand. And then uh, I uh, introduced that to survive in the wild, you'll need at least four things, uh, water, shelter, food, fire. Of course, in society, uh, or what we call community living, you'll need uh, to be able to provide, if you're going to be self-sufficient, uh, you'll need food, housing, clothing, transportation. And uh, uh, those are the necessities of life. And then I liken that to the Christian life. The Christian life, if a Christian is to be effective uh, in his walk with Christ, you're going to need, of course, Jesus. And this is preached from a child of God standpoint, meaning you must be born again. If you're not born again, none of this is going to make sense to you. None of this will work right for you uh, if you do not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. But you need Jesus, which is the chief cornerstone. And then you need family. Now, don't go to seed on that. And what I mean by that is Jesus says that uh, a lot of times when you become born again, your family might desert you. Uh, sometimes people come from broken families because of sin. God never designed it that way. But he says as we get closer to the second coming, he said that fathers and mothers would rise against children, children rise against uh, mothers. God made provision for that. But it is important that you have family. And that was preached from a context that you as an individual, maybe you had been abandoned by a mother or father or family or been disowned. Sometimes that happens when a person gets born again, they're disowned by their family. It's a very real thing. And then they start their own family, husband and wife, and then of course, uh, children. And we broke that down, uh, the husband and wife relationship. God designed it, and it was designed for companionship. It was designed for completion, and it was designed for continuation. But let's say that uh, uh, you know nothing about family or how a proper family should uh, function. And you get saved later in life. You've made a mess out of your life. God made provision for that. And he instituted the church. And the church is likened unto food. But it's also likened unto shelter. And then we begin to break down the right attention in the church. Which... Here in Ephesians 5, uh, the Lord is killing two birds with one stone. He likens the church and the relationship in the church, which is the body of Christ, as a marriage. They go together. And so the Lord is saying, look, how the marriage should function is how church should function. And so the attention must be right in the home. Uh, Christ should have that preeminence of the attention. And then, of course, husbands, then your wife would have that secondary attention after Christ. Both of you are serving together. What a wonderful thing to be able to walk with Christ in the cool of the day. Uh, we don't quite walk in the cool of the day with Christ walking beside us, but we can as husbands and wife in prayer and devotion and Bible reading. That is a, a wonderful thing to be able to do. And, and then you have that, share that vulnerability, that openness with each other between you and God. 
But then we seen last week the right attitude or that attitude that should be in our churches. And we broke that down right from Scripture on what kind of an attitude. It's a, it's a loving attitude. But then he says it's a gracious attitude and it's a, it's a giving attitude. But then this morning... And, and I think every one of you probably got a piece of paper in with your bulletin or it was handed to you. Those are the ministries that are going on in the church. And there'll be more to come. And I've not said a whole lot about those. Uh, but uh, th- we're going to talk about the assistance in the church. The assistance. And we're talking about serving in the body of Christ. But he's also talking about our homes as the husband and wife relationship. And he really gets on the man. I know a lot of times the ladies, or it has been said that the ladies hate Ephesians chapter 5. And they take it out of their Bible. I've never really seen anybody do that. I, I remember one time years ago, and of course I'm telling this from a mind of a six-year-old Seven-year-old. Now, I, I remember it very vividly, but we'd have to ask my mother what she was actually doing. But we were driving to church, and my mother, I remember her ripping pages out of her Bible on her way to church. Uh, and and <laughs> if I remember right, they were pictures. They were Bible pictures or something. She was doing something. But I remember literally ripping pages out of there. And, uh, you know, my, of course... I'm a six-year-old, and, and you know that, that uh, the context of a six-year-old uh, sometimes is skewed. We might have to ask mom what she was doing. We were driving. We're almost to Mount Hope Baptist Church. We turned on that last road that runs up to the church, and, and I, I can't remember why, but they were being torn out. They were laughing, Dad and Mom, like, yeah, th- this don't need to be. Yeah, this, this is wrong. I, I, I don't know the whole story behind that, but I do remember that. and It's uh, humorous. It pops to my mind thinking about ladies taking and tearing Ephesians 5 out of their Bibles because they don't like that word submission. I do need to clarify that because anytime I preach on that, the men go home and they jump down into an easy chair and they crown themselves king and and then demand submission from their wife. And ladies, it's a shame i got to clarify this, uh, but submission, we talked about last week, it's about working together. And I likened it to uh, strings on an instrument and how they got to be tuned together. But I will say this, in the day and age that we live in, we live in a wicked age. This word submission, in wives he says to be submit yourselves to your own husband, uh, he tells you that like as unto the Lord, God would never tell you to do something illegal. And so if your husband tells you, look, I need you to go rob a bank with me, you're not under no obligation to submit to that. That's not what the Lord's talking about. I need to clarify that. Or if you're living in an abusive situation and your, uh, your spouse is giving you a beat down, you're not to submit to that. That's not what this Bible's talking about. That's not there. And somebody would have to twist it or change it to make it say that. That Christ, number one, Christ would never ask you to do something illegal. That goes against the Word of God. And the Lord would never beat you into submission and, and tell you to, to just like it. God doesn't act that way. God says He cherishes and nourisheth the church. And we're going to talk about that today. But I needed to clarify that because... 
Um, as I get older, I learn that not everybody has uh, had the raising or the upbringing that I have had. I, I've, there's some uh, things that you all have had to deal with that I, I've never experienced. And I don't ever think about uh, because I've never been through that bad or horrible experience. And so sometimes it's easy to preach having not ever thought about uh, some of these things that people have to endure or go through. And so it is it is nice and right to clarify that because people can walk away with the wrong interpretation or thinking that the preacher is saying something different. Now, nobody said anything to me, but the Holy Spirit kind of pointed that up to me this week as I begin to relook at this passage of Scripture that you might want to mention that uh, just in case somebody might be watching this morning on the live stream, might need to be, uh, they're, they're watching because they need help. Maybe they are in a bad, abusive situation. God's not telling you to submit to that. That's not right. The Lord would never expect that. Now, let's move on down because I want to catch it here in verse 25 because today, really Ephesians chapter 5 is the Lord just really calls us men out. He really does. He calls us out. So really, Ephesians 5 is really hard on the men and not the ladies uh, because he tells you before he asks the wife or tells the wife that she needs to submit to your own husband that both of you should be in submission together. And that means tuned together into God's tuning. Working together in harmony. That's what he's talking about. Think about it like this. Sometimes it is important when it comes to biblical hermeneutics that you understand the era and the age that it was, this was written in. And this was written back in the days when they used uh, uh, either oxen or mules uh, to plow. They didn't have a, a tractor. And so this, in a, in a plowing team, if you have uh, two mules that are going to plow together, one of those two mules is going to be a lead mule. That doesn't make it stronger. It doesn't make it better. It's just one of them is a lead mule. It might be more experienced. And what that means is that lead mule that you're plowing with is going to take the first step in the direction that, uh, that the person that's behind it wants it to go. And then the other mule follows suit. And that they plow together. One doesn't want to go left and the other one goes right. But they work together in the yoke that they're in. And so that might help you. I'm not likening people to mules uh, even though I've been likened to a donkey a few times and, and, and maybe stubborn as an ox a few times. But we're likened or it's, you need to have that in your mind because that's the picture that he's, he's portraying. When you have a pulling team, not one is over the other, you know, like as in under the thumb. A lot of times men think that that word's working together with your wife. That means she's got to be under your thumb. That, that is not, no, nah, you better go read Proverbs 31. Because that's not, that doesn't go in the uh, harmony with the word of God. Proverbs 31 woman is quite a powerful woman. A very powerful woman. So let's catch it at verse 25 because again, he addresses the husbands. Remember, the wife is the completer to the husband, the helpmeet. 
The woman has no such uh, completer or helpmeet for her. Uh, and, and men, we need to keep that uh, in our minds. Uh, we need help. The Lord said he give Adam a job to do. And remember, the men are to have a work to do. And every man should have a work to do. God gave Adam a work. And then he says, <laughs> he's going to need some t- help keeping this organized. And so he made Eve the completer. And so uh, that's how that uh, works out. Verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So he keeps telling you what kind of love. It's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love that husbands should have for their wives that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loveth his wife loveth himself No man ever yet hated his own flesh. Of course, he's talking about in your right mind. He's not talking about a lunatic. He's not talking about somebody who's mentally insane. Uh, You can run across that in today's age, people that will abuse themselves. He's He's not in that context, folks. He's in the context of a human being that is of sound mind and body. And here's how we're to do it. To nourish, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, for we are members. So he introduces this members thing now. Of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, even though he was teaching about the church, it's going to do double duty. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife. How is that? The way he just lined out. There are no exceptions. As himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband, there's another what we call synonym word for the word submission. It's about reverence and respect. Let us pray and then we'll ask Christ the Lord to get into the message. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Now, Lord, help us today as we preach this message on the assistance uh, in the work of God. And, and uh, Lord, uh, every member has a place in the body of Christ, just like every member in a home has a, a place and a job to do. Now, if there be any that is wayward or lost, Help them to see the need this morning to receive you as their Savior and begin to build their house on the rock. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I want to draw your attention to two words here. And those will be the two words called cherish and nourish. Now for years I've read through these 
verses. And my uh, church here, they've heard me teach this, and I've preached out of this and taught through this, and I always just run across these words, cherish and nourish, and never really thought much about them, thought I knew the definition to those two words. Until this week, I began to look those words up. And so, here's what the word cherish means. To treat in a manner to encourage growth. We see that word to edify. It's going to show up here. It has showed up in this book because we're headed to chapter 4 because he has some more light that he can shed on this subject, the church. So to cherish means to treat in a manner to encourage growth by protection, through aid, through attendance, to treat with tenderness and affection, to give warmth, ease, or to comfort. That's what the word cherish means. Now the word nourish, it means to feed and to cause to grow. To supply a living. I found that to be interesting. So let me give you some words that help us open up the definition of these two words, which we would call synonyms to these two words. Words like service. Words like cooperation. A word like help. Support. To lend a helping hand. Does that help us men that uh, we're not just kings in the home? That's not what he's saying here. That you're going to cherish and nourish your spouse, your wife. That means you're going to uh, provide service. You're going to give her a helping hand. You're going to provide a living for her. Ladies, I have said and I've kept, uh, kept saying it and I will say it again. If you're on the look for a husband, he has to be able to provide food, housing, clothing, transportation for you, and him, and a family. He said, well, you know, I, I, I just love him. We're getting to that. That'll be next week's message on how to make right decisions and not make decisions based off of emotions. I've heard this many times in my life and I've seen it play out firsthand. But you just don't understand I love him. Try eating that on a hot dog bun. <laughs> it might get you 72 hours, but it, it ain't going far. Oh, but I just love him. Does he, can he provide food, housing, Clothing, transportation, no, we use mine. You want me to prophesy? I see problems down the road for you. Any little thing that breaks God's principle of life become monumental mountains about 15 years to 18 years down that blissful relationship. And so young ladies, even our teen girls, if he can't provide, that means he needs to have a job. That means it needs to be a job that's more than just working at Burger King. And 
he gets to wear that little crown. I used to love Burger King when I was a kid. I could wear that little crown. You know, and you get the, and then I loved McDonald's and Happy Meals because I loved the toy. You know, that's just not going to provide the food, the housing, the clothing, and the transportation that you're going to need just to make it. Say, well, I'll help him do it. I understand that. But one day, somewhere around after the second child, you're going, you're going to wise up and say, I can't help him pull 50% of his load and pull 100% of my load. And most men expect their wives to pull 150% while they just barely pull 50 you ever look at it like that? Now, I didn't mean to get off into all that, but I got off into all that because of this word cherish and nourish men. So as a young man growing up, you're like, okay, I'm in my later teens. Amen. You need to be transitioning into a field that will able you to provide food, housing, clothing, transportation. To be a provider. The Bible even lines up with this and says, look, that a young man, if he's wise, will develop his field before he builds his house. You say, what, what, what does the Bible mean? I preached, I preached a whole message on that. What it means is before you set up housekeeping, you make sure that you can provide a living to support that housekeeping. Today, we're doing it all backwards. We're, we're falling badly in love, which is not love, it's lust. It's what it is. It's lust. It's lust. It's what it is. And then we hook up because we're in the hookup culture. And then because we can't afford the rent, we partner up, move in together so we can live above our means. And we just start life. And it's all backwards. And it's sand. That's what the Bible's talking about. You're breaking your antichrist in your principles, in your worldview. Your antichrist in how you want to live your life. And yes, you are going to have problems. And if you are saved, you're really going to have problems. So this word cherish and nourish, I want to build on those now i want to give you this verse in philippians 127 because we also need to address the church and philippians 127 says this only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of christ that whether i come and see you or else be absent i may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So in a church setting, there is what we call the assistance in the church. Everybody pulling together for the faith of the gospel. Now, take your Bible and just turn one page back to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's see how he breaks this down as he addresses the church, but he's also addressing the home. So husbands and wives, you're to be working together. Not one of you should be lording over the other, but working together as a team in a yoke. 
That's the picture that should be in your mind. And yes, God has, uh, has uh, chosen that the man be the lead horse. But also, that God will come and deal with the husband if anything's not going right in the home. If it's not being managed properly. And all men always say, well, Lord, that woman you give me, <laughs> she did it. You know I can't control her. She gets a credit card and goes crazy. She's got a spending disorder. The Lord said, mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. The Lord's going to come to the husband about that thing, not to the wife. And so you've got to learn how to work together. But then a church needs to work together. Catch me here in about verse 11. And he's already covered the ground of where have one Lord, one faith, uh, one, uh, uh, one baptism, uh, in, in, and then uh, uh, to be in unity. And that's where to love, that's how we have unity around here. We love in the truth, the Word of God. And then he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, their time has passed, and some evangelists, we have evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, why did God give pastors and teachers and evangelists who are still in operation today? What is their function in the body of Christ? What is this thing called church, which is food and shelter uh, that we need to be in and that we're not to forsake the assembling of? Well, he did it for, verse 12, the perfecting. Of the saints. Now he's talking about maturing. That word perfecting is Old English for maturing. To mature the saints. Now here's a bad word for the work. It's a bad word. Of the ministry. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The work. How we're to lend a helping hand and support to one another. For the edifying. That's the building up. Of the body of Christ. Now, how long? Well, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. <laughs> when they can't tell the difference between you and Christ, uh, we're not there yet, are we? No, he's referring to when you get over there into the new body. So this is a lifelong thing. You don't make one or two services of church say, All right, I got it. I'm perfect. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the mark that you're trying to measure up to. I don't think there's nobody in here this morning that's fed 5,000 people. It's created bread and fish. No. Raised the dead. Healed the blind. No. We got a lot of work to do. And we'll never attain that. That's the implication. And then he says that we henceforth be no more children. Uh-oh. That's childish. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, which is the head even Christ. Now I need this verse. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself 
in love. You say, preacher, <laughs> what is he saying? Well, he's saying, and I was sharing this yesterday, that just because you eat food and it goes into your stomach, the stomach is not the only body part that benefits from the nourishment that comes from the food that's in your stomach. Uh, your knees are part of your body. Your feet are part of your body. Your arms are part of your body. Your, your brains are part of your body. Uh, your eyes are part of the bodies. And no, they don't digest, but they seek nourishment. But each and every one of those body parts has a specific job to do in that body. That's what he just introduced you to. And he says, you don't need to be childish in this thinking. And so he brings that word childish or children up. Which the Bible says, when I was a child, I speak as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. Fathers that have sons, you need to begin to transition your sons somewhere around 14, 15, 16, right in there. Begin to transition them that yes, you have provided the things that they have needed to sustain life. Food, housing, clothing, transportation, got it. But they need to begin to discover that those things have a real value and they call somebody money. And that daddy and son should have a day where the father introduces the son on how pork chops are made. I remember that day in my life. <laughs> I, if I remember right, dad said it somewhat like that. He said, Come, you're coming with me. I was about 12, 13, full of myself. Every 12 or 13-year-old boy is. He gets rebellious, doesn't want to hear nothing from his mom, does not respond to any uh, woman, uh, but uh, he will respond to dad because dad's the big mean monkey in the home. Sometimes we need that. That's our problems in this society. There's no fathers. They're fatherless. And so dad said, you're coming with me. We was going to Vic Wilson's church. He had bought an old school building. You're going to learn how pork chops are made. You're not laying around the house all day. We didn't have video games. Dad wouldn't let us have them. I see the wisdom in that now. But you're not going to lay around, do nothing all day, and mama just coo and baby all over you. And by the way, my mom didn't coo and baby over us boys. She watched her mom ruin her son which I won't get into all that. And she said, I'm not doing that. My boys are not going to be big babies. They're going to be men. About 12, mom kicked us out of the kitchen. We come in, oh, mommy, will you fix this something? Get it yourself. Mom didn't coo over us boys. Mom definitely didn't clean our rooms. Mom didn't fold our clothes. Mom didn't do our laundry. We did it ourselves. And Dad said, while you're doing it, you're going to do the house's laundry, and you're going to save the water and recycle the water too while you're doing it. I'm like, Whoo. Man, those were hard days. And I thought that was cruel and unusual and terrible punishment when Dad hooked me up to a rototiller, not a horse, to make me row to till the garden, pull the weeds. 
I, if I remember right, I ran away from home one summer because of that. Now, I ran away at about 10.30, and I was back before 6. I had every intention on living in the woods. I always wanted to be a mountain man. Yeah, it didn't last long. I got hungry. <laughs> uh, Dad kind of knew that. But there's got to be that transition. If not, fathers, if you don't ever do that, you're going to foster and help develop an entitlement mentality in the mind of that young man. And they, I won't tell you what my mom called them, but they will be worthless. They don't want to provide they do not recognize their need that they need to provide food, shelter, clothing, transportation. You want to know why? Because it's always been magically done for them. It just poof. Oh, Daddy, I want a new game system. Poof, it happens. Oh, I need, I need some laundry. Poof, Mom does it. Well, I need my room cleaned up. Dad comes in. He's going to be big and bad. Like, hey, get your room cleaned up today while I'm at work. Well, boy, he ain't going to do it. He's playing video games. <laughs> and Mom knows. I don't want to hear Dad. He's going to be angry. So she comes in and does it. Puts all the clothes away, folds them, sweeps the room. She's working a full-time job, coming home, keeping up with that. That's a problem. That's not working together in unison. We've ruined probably two generations because daddy never took son and said, let me show you how pork chops are made. This is what it takes for a man. And my father also had the talk with me. And I don't mean that talk. I'm talking about you're a boy. You're a man. That's how God made you. And because of that, one day, you're going to want to get married. And that means you've got to be a provider. You're going to have to develop a field. I remember wanting to uh, uh, do something else because it was easier. My father said, if you never listen to me, you listen to me for on this one thing. I was 18. He said, I want you to come and learn a trade. Become an official plaster. Let someone else teach you. Join the local union. Learn a trade. And you give me four years. And after that, you can do whatever you want. I wanted to go to the Air Force. I wanted to fly. Right. And thank God I had an honest recruiter that I got so far as to test out for that. But I didn't test out for flying. I, I didn't test out for navigation. You know what I tested out for? Mechanics and truck driving. And I remember that recruiter saying, you think Uncle Sam's going to put you inside of a $21 million piece of equipment to fly it when the best you tested out was maybe to turn a couple wrenches? Sobered me up. And so I went and served that apprenticeship, best thing I ever did. I didn't know it, but my father was helping me develop my field so that I could be a provider. But we had that talk. And fathers need to have that talk. Little girls are a little different. And they're to be treated a little more gentle. But a man, a young man, by the time he's 18... And he's got his job. He should be helping pay rent around there. Here's, here's the thinking. Every person inside that household 
is consuming resources. It's, I know it's getting quiet. <laughs> you are consuming resources. You're consuming part of the electric bill. You're consuming part of the water bill. I know because you like Hollywood showers. You're consuming part of the soap bill because we got to have Axe, you know, body wash. We can't just use dial. You're consuming part of the perfume <laughs> cologne. <laughs> You're consuming part of the housing cost. You're consuming part of the insurance cost. You're consuming more than your part of the food bill. These things have real value. Somebody's got to pay for that. And so you should be transitioned. By the time you're 18, you should be able, you still might be living at home. And there's nothing wrong with that. And us as parents want our children to live at home as long as possible, you know, within reason. But you should be helping. Hey, Dad, I know I've eaten more than my weight in food. Here's a little money. How about that insurance bill, Dad? How much did it add to your, your insurance? I'm on yours. How about my clothing and the electric bill? When that never happens, all of a sudden they find Miss Dying. And Miss Dying has probably got about 50% more on the ball than he does. And she's already got a field developed. She's got a good job. And they just fall madly in love. And he comes in and he just plops down on the couch and says, This is a great roommate. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't like how my mom and dad are. I'm gone. I'm out of there. And they sit there. And then when love dies, and he's still sitting there on the couch, consuming resources, because they've always been provided... And he wants his roommate now to be his mommy because mommy always did the laundry for him. Mommy always made sure he got a bath. Mommy laid his clothes out. Mommy made his bed. And mommy swept the floor. And mommy cooked the meals. And you see where I'm going? That's a problem. And he never transitions from childish behavior childish thinking to adulting. Now, then it spills over into the church. And then the pastor's got to try to deal with it. Let me give you something I wrote down. I didn't find it. It just come to me. There should be some point in your Christian life where you have transitioned from nursery church the tender. No child ever wants to leave the nursery. That's why we have to put age limits on it. Because mommies and daddies don't want to tell their children no. If there wasn't an age limit on it, they'd be 18 years old still in the nursery playing with the toys. There'd probably be a, a widescreen back there because some, some parent would probably do that for their you know, kids. I'm exaggerating. But you're, you're getting, yeah, yeah some, some of you say, no, no, that's, that's right. That's our problem today. we got a lot of churches that are entertainment-driven. Those are nursery churches because they're dealing with people that have never matured in Christ. And the job of the pastor is to mature the Christians sitting there. 
you should have transitioned from a nursery church attender to a working church member. That's what he's talking about here. Talking about working together in unison in every joint. Even the joints have function in the body of Christ. That's what makes a church successful. Too many times, only 20% of the actual church members do 100% of the labor in the church. That is just the running statistics. When everybody, if you're taking resources, using resources, then you're to contribute. You'll have a place in the body of Christ. Our homes are to work that way. Our churches are to work that way. That's part of adulting. It's called discovering your shape in Christ. You've heard this out of people say, well, I'm just trying to find myself. Well, you're 45. You should have found yourself at about, you know, I found myself right at about 15 in a garden, <laughs> picking pickles. I discovered myself. Oh, you're going to have to work. You just can't lay around all day, every day. There's a problem when that happens. And I got it written down here. I'm really just ad lemon as, as the Holy Spirit leads me. Let me get to the assignment. The work. And that's in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. When without a work to do. People will experience a lack of purpose in their life. This is happening to a lot of young men today. And if you, you might not have known it, but I know it. Suicide rates are up 400%. Now that means that they're going to begin to affect your family and affect my family. And part of the problem is, it, is because these young men don't have purpose in life because everything's been done for them. And when they're slapped with reality, generally when they got to stand before a judge and they're slapped with reality, they begin to have a problem. And this will manifest itself in the different problems, as in depression, anxieties, low self-esteem, acting out. These are just some of the symptoms that can happen. When a person has been uh, entitled, they've never, they never understand their purpose. Where do they fit in life? Where do they fit in God's picture? Where do they fit in the house of God? Therefore, we have too much happy meal preaching. There is such a thing. I've threatened to preach that so many times. It's not original to me, but it's called happy meal Christians. Good thought behind that. That's the assignment. And God said that every member needs to find their shape in Christ. And that shape, what I'm talking about is each and every one of us is given spiritual gifts to serve one another with. We all have a heart or a passion for doing certain things. Some of us are good at, at crafts. Some of us are good at decorations, and everybody understands you don't come to me to try to pick colors for the church. It's not, I'm not your person. I'm not good with that. 
But some of you have great gifts. You can see things. Uh, Jen was painting a picture the other day. She's been getting into a little art. I've been discovering new things about her. Once she likes looking at the moon and the stars. And she howls. No, I'm sorry. So I bought her a telescope for Christmas. But she also likes to paint. And, and she was painting a little picture and she asked, would you like to do it? I said, no, I can't. I don't have that gift. You say, what, what happens? Well, when I sit down with a blank canvas and a paintbrush, my mind is just like the blank cam- canvas. It's blank. Nothing's going to come out. I can't even look at something and try to put it and put it down. You don't want to I guarantee a little Kinsley can draw better than I can. It's not one of my gifts. I'm not gifted. But each and every one of us has different gifts. And we have a heart and a passion for doing those things. And we've been given special abilities. And we have unique personalities. Some people are just great at getting along with everybody. Some people can cheer others up. And you see on your ministry paper, the Barnabas ministry. I'll preach on that in the months to come. I'll introduce those ministries. A Barnabas ministry is just to be an encouragement to others. You do not know what the person sitting next to you has had to deal with this week. And sometimes all they need to see out of you is a smiling face. I know of people that have said, I'm going to go to church, but if so-and-so is not there, I'm done. I know of people that says, I'm taking my life and drive by a church that was open on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and stopped in and got saved, but they were going to commit suicide. You don't know what the person next to you is having to deal with. And so the Barnabas ministry is about being a help and an encouragement. That could be your place in the body of Christ. So we see the advancement. We see the assignment. But then we see the assembly in verse 12 here in Ephesians 4. He says, For the edifying of the body of Christ... Christ is the standard. And this verse come to my mind. In Galatians 4.19, and I believe this to be the case in a lot of, lot, of, lot of things. The Lord put this thought on my mind this week as I was doing some praying and meditating on this message. You know me. I, as a rule, preach everybody lost. If you don't line up the book, you're lost. I don't care. You're lost. You're lost. You need to get saved. You know, that's not always the case. Think about your children. They get into the terrible twos and they throw a royal fit. Does that make them not your child when that happens? Still your child. Why they do that? Because they're childish. Okay. How about those teen years? <laughs> you ever felt like disowning those teen years? <laughs> yeah. But they steal your child, though, wouldn't they? You know, how often is that like us? I believe some people are genuinely saved, but they're either in their terrible twos. Because the Lord says we need to grow. We start out as babies. They could be in their terrible twos. Or, the, or they could be in those terrible teen years where they're struggling to transition. They'll throw fits. They want to they isolate. They don't want to communicate. 
they want to experiment and do things that they know you wouldn't approve of. God, give me that thought. Sometimes his children, uh, you know, God's children, just like our children, can act out. God's children can act out. It's called a lack of maturity. I got that definition and I failed to give it to you and I want to give it to you before I close. Maturity. Let me give that to you. Maturity is not a matter of age. That's right. But instead of how you choose to respond and react to various life situations. It is a level of mental development that has bearing in all areas of an individual's life. From their conduct to their relationships with others. I really believe that's what the Lord's talking about here. That there should be a point in time when God's children who are in church should begin to transition from baby stage, the terrible two stage. And a lot of times people get saved, they come from a bad walk of life and they, they just, everything's wrong. They're trying to learn how to walk. They're falling down. They're bumping themselves. They, they, they cry. They do this. And you've got to help them through that process. There should be a time when they transition and say, you know what? I'm beginning to discover my shape, who I am in the body of Christ. I'm really good at this. And I know I'm taking resources. I'm talking spiritually now because the pastor is working hard to feed me from the Word of God, to open the Word of God and, and to open my eyes to what the Word of God's really trying to say. And now I need to transition from nursery church to a working member in the body of Christ so that I can help provide assistance and work in the body of Christ because I am consuming resources. And you transition from being a taker. Children are takers. Hence, we call them crumb snatchers, right? You got a teen in the house, <laughs> you'll understand what I said. <laughs> there is nothing sacred in the fridge. <laughs> that was one of the rules in my home. That means if one of my kids brought something good from home, if it went in the fridge, there's nothing sacred. If I can get to it first, and you can tell I've got to plenty first, it's mine. It's the privilege of the father. <laughs> Rents due. <laughs> I'll take it in food. That's called Christian maturity. That's our assignments. That's our assembly. Christ says we're a body. And the body is designed to work together in unity. Your knees should work with your legs. As we get older, they don't. They hurt. <laughs> you need Tylenol or something, but you understand the principle. Our stomachs and our digestive systems should work. It's designed to work together in unity. All of the body parts use resources for which they need nourishment. But each body part also has a specific job or a function in the body. Our churches should operate this way. And our homes should operate this way. Husbands, you are to cherish and nourish your wives. That means sometimes you're going to give them a helping hand. You're going to support them. You're going to provide 
a living for them. I didn't say she couldn't work. I'm just saying you have a part to play in this. I understand I'm sobering some of you up. I understand your whole life has been about laying on the couch in dirty sweats playing video games. But there needs to come a time when you say, I know I don't feel like it. I'd rather just stay home. Do you know how many days I wanted to stay home? It was raining like this. We work construction. I'm not a big person to want to wait around in cold mud around the house foundation trying to get a house set up so we can begin to stucco. Or put a tarp over it so we can keep working. Why? Is so we could eat pork chops Friday. But I thank God that I had a father that says, we got to do it. Because we got to provide. We got to lend that helping hand. Working together in unison in our homes, but then in our churches. Wonderful lesson. A wonderful cornerstone in the Word of God. And if you don't apply the principles that this Bible says we need to, you're going to have a house built on sand. And when the rain comes, and when the floods rise, that's that depression. That's that mine rolling when the lights go out. And then the winds blow. You want your life, which the Bible likens to a house, to stand through those troublous times. You ever stop to think how in the world some people stay married 55, 56 years? Well, I guarantee you they might have had some troublous times. They might have had some seasons, but they worked together in unison, providing nourishment and cherishment, lending a helping hand and supporting and providing a living for each other. They were living for each other. And both of them living for Christ. Let's stand this morning.